This passage fired me up. I was motivated by it. I was excited about it. I preached it with energy and passion and probably a little bit of raising my voice because I was going to change the world. And the economics of the world that lead to injustice for so many power to the people. Can I hear you? Oh, no, no. Uh, um, I was a radical ready to take to the streets. And that's after many haircuts and I shaved my beard. Uh, so I'd cleaned up and gone to seminary by then. Uh, uh, I have to admit, when I saw this passage coming up in the lectionary, I had a different feeling and attitude than I used to have. Because I'm reminded of how little I've actually impacted in the world. When I was young, the parable was so obvious to me and so easy for me to preach. And as, and as I look, I look back, back on those sermons and think about them, I find that my exegesis, my, my homiletic, my interpretation was solid. And they should be. This is not a particularly difficult passage. It's interesting, but not a particularly difficult passage from an exegetical standpoint. Um, my interpretation was solid, but my application was all wrong. It was bold and visionary, but it was basically impossible to execute. If you, if you happen, happen to be an Animaniacs fan, any of those here? Because I don't only raise your hand a little bit. There we go, Callum. You may remember the show Pinky and the Brain. Now it's beginning to get some of you in it. Where every night Pinky would say, Gee, what do you want to do tonight, Brain? And the Brain would reply, The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. And so every day I wanted to take over the world because I was sure I had a better idea. But you know, if you have a strategy, it has to be implementable. We need implementable strategies. Doesn't mean they have to be small, they may be, but they have to be doable. This is the nature of the church in the world. In our neighborhood, we need to make a difference. We often talk about winning the world for Christ. What does that mean? How would we do that here? How would we change this entire world here. It's, it's just, just not implementable. At 25, this was so easy for me. Now, some multiples of 25, at my age, the economic justice systems of the world simply frustrate me. The racism, the bigotry, all those things that we could name this morning simply frustrated me. I wanted to change the system. I wanted to change the world. It was true in my heart. Now I am the system. I remember discovering that once when I went to see our youngest son, Nathaniel. He was at college at Truman State University. And I went up to see him for something. He was a freshman, and, and I think we were going to a, 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 a Lewis Black concert, the Lewis Black show. And for those of you who like Lewis Black, I may be the only one. I think Jordan maybe does. But, but we were going, so I drove up one day after work fast as I could to get to, to Kirksville. And, and, and Nathaniel was telling me he was all excited because he was a freshman. It was in the fall semester, so he was new. And he was telling me about, yeah, you know, our dorm. We're quite a dorm. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. I said, you know, here on campus, we have a campus radio station. And, and, but they don't play anything we want. So our dorm has formed its own radio station. And our theme is sticking it to the man one song at a time. And I, I kind of giggled, giggled, and he said, what do you think of that, Dad? And I thought about it for a minute, and I knew that I was a CEO of an organization. And I said, and we, we called him, we called him Nathaniel Fan. Fan, I am the man. 
we do come to the point where we understand we're the man or we're the woman. But this is our text today. Even if we are the man or the woman, and it is a good text for us to learn from. This passage used to be so easy, and now it's disconcerting and challenging because we are the men and the women. Look at the text a little bit. What do you see? What are the key points for you here? This is not a lesson on heaven and hell. So don't draw any conclusions or theologies about heaven and hell on this. What are the key movements for you? Who are the main characters for you? What is expected from here and what's unexpected to you? This is one of four what's called two-edged parables in the Bible. The first is the prodigal son, who I think I preached ages ago. And, and really, you understand in the prodigal son, the story's not about the prodigal son. You can learn some things, but it's about the elder brother. And then you get in, in Matthew 22, the wedding banquet, and the people, the, the, it's really not about the wedding banquet and the people who show up, it's about the people who don't. And then in Matthew 20, you get the workers in the vineyard, and it's not about the workers in the vineyard, it's about the people who are watching the workers in the vineyard. So always in a two-edged parable, the emphasis is on the second part of the parable. The reality is Lazarus is a minor character here. He is not the focus of the story, though I always made Lazarus the focus of the story when I was younger. He is a minor character. He never speaks. He never does anything. There's no action except lay at a gate. And then you have the rich man. Now, he's, he's the mover of the conversation here. He drives the conversation with Abraham. We look at him. You have Abraham. Abraham is the wise soul who's giving us insights. And then you have the additional five brothers, who I think probably are the characters for the story. How do you see the rich man, though? Since he is one of the central characters, how do you see him? He lives in splendor. And it says every day. So we're to understand that probably this man doesn't have to work. Every day he's living in splendor. I think he practiced some charity. Now you're getting my reading into here. Because he at least has a beggar laying at his gate. And so we know that Lazarus desired to eat the, the bread, the crumbs that fell from his table. It really wasn't the crumbs. Uh, in that day and age, they would take bread, and they would use bread to clean their hands before they ate it. They would cast it on the ground, and the dogs would eat it. That's, that's how you cleaned your hands. Today, we would call it a finger bowl, you know. For those of you young, don't drink the finger bowl. It's the wrong thing, I know. Uh, so, 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 you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. And so he lives in splendor. I think he practiced some charity. I think he probably had parties for his friends. My guess is he was a respected member of the community. He's wealthy. Excuse me. He's a respected member. And you got all these things going for him. You would give him the Citizen of the Year Award in many communities. And then, and then we, we get, get shocked by hearing he ends up in Hades. Because, because see, ultimately it is not the communities that is the evaluator of a life. It's God who evaluates life. And, he and he, can, we're, we're told he goes to Hades. Why? Because he made bad choices. He chose the good things for himself. His choice to live in luxury over authentic living. He lived for himself. Which, which is another, another word of saying he lived selfishly. And in verse 25, we hear, Son, remember in your lifetime you received good things. Notice Abraham calls him son. He doesn't disown him. He calls him son, but he said, you made your choices. You made your choices to live selfishly 
for yourself. This is who he is. This is his personality. This is not an accident. This is who he has become. He cannot escape who he is. You can see his ingrained uh, sense of privilege. What does he say to Father Abraham? Send Lazarus to do my bidding. I'd like a little water on my tongue. Send Lazarus. Like he has control over Lazarus. Right? It is who he is. And later on he's going to say, well, send him to my five brothers. He cannot escape who he is. He has developed, cultivated a life of selfishness. A life about me. Good choices for me. The real emphasis, our movement of the parable, picks up when the five brothers emerge. We know that this guy is who he is. He's not by accident in Hades. He has chosen that for himself. But now we have the five brothers picking up. And some would call this the Joachim Jeremias, and others call it the, the parable of the six brothers. And, and, and the rich man's a little bit defensive here. Think about it. He complains a little... Um, uh, kind, kind of a complaining, complaining posture. You know, first, first I'd like some water. water. Don't get it. Well, okay. Send somebody to my brothers. brothers. What he's really saying here is, you know, Abraham, I didn't have a chance, man. Nobody told me. If someone would have come back from the dead, I would have made much better choices. I would have gotten it. I would have been a good guy. The rich man just doesn't get it. If only... You had, you had a beggar at your gate. gate. Couldn't you see him? Couldn't you see him? Now, now we, we know, know the rich man does have some compassion about him, though. Now, it's, it's not, not for Lazarus at all, the man who lived at his gate. gate. He, he wants, wants Lazarus sent to do his errand. But, but for, for his, his brothers, his five brothers, brothers he has some compassion. Abraham, being Abraham, pushes back so kindly and gently. He said, you know, your brothers have Moses and the prophets, uh, you know, left unsaid, you have him too, and you didn't listen to him, but they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him. And in verse 31, we get the point of the parable. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. We see the obviousness of that from our position, do we not? If we are to live authentic lives in relationship to God and others, we need to have an authentic encounter with God. When we have an authentic encounter with God, through Moses, through the Word, it yields community. It yields togetherness. Not just a source of life for us when we encounter God. It's not about me encountering God to do as I please. Woohoo! I'm going to heaven. I can do what I want, right? It's not that. It's not about us. Hear and follow the way of God in authentic living is what we're being challenged to do. And when we do that, we will live in community. Joachim Yeremia said, the person who will not submit to the word of God will not be convinced by a miracle. God deals with us through his word. Yes, the written word that we call the Bible, but also that living word that we call Jesus Christ and God's spirit who ministers those words to us. It's not hard to understand what God demands of us. We've already quoted it once this morning. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. In other words, be in relationship with your fellow human beings. Be in community. 
Jesus told us, as the prophet told us, I desire compassion, not sacrifices. Love others. This is what the word teaches us. So let's do a quick summary here. Where are we in our story? The rich man is in Hades because he made bad choices. He lived for himself and no one else. He made bad choices on how to deal with his neighbor who was at his doorstep. If you're like me, you probably have a a world vision of God at work in the world. And like me, you probably want the world to change. Listen, the war in Ukraine needs to stop. Russia needs to stop. All those things need to stop in the world. And all that happens to me when I think about those things is I get frustrated. I got frustrated as a young man, and I actually admit I get frustrated as an old man because the world is not changing. And you know what I found out by getting so occupied with that? That I, in fact, wasn't doing what I could do. I was so thinking about the globe that I forgot about my doorstep. If you remember from Genesis 4, when Cain asked the question, Am I my brother's keeper? I'm convinced that the rest of the Bible is written to answer yes to that question for us over and over and over again. The answer is, am I my brother's and sister's keeper? Yes. My brother, not humanity. I love the line from Linus. Uh, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. Can't get by with it. Or, or for those of you who want your... Uh, your uh, quote's a little more highbrow this morning. Think of Dostoevsky from the Brothers Karamazov, and I quote, The more I love humanity in general, the less I love people in particular. In my dreams, I often make plans for the service of humanity, and perhaps I might actually face crucifixion if it were suddenly necessary. Yet I am incapable of living in the same room with anyone for two days together. I know from experience, as soon as anyone is near me, his or her personality disturbs me and restricts my freedom. In 24 hours, I begin to hate the best of people. One because he or she is too long over his dinner. Another because he or she has a cold and keeps on blowing his or her cold nose. I become hostile to people the moment they, close, they come close to me. But it always happened that the more I hate men individually, the more I loved humanity. What does, what does that, that mean, mean for us? Jeremias calls this a, 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 a it may be too late parable. It is too late for the rich man. There's a gulf here. You're not crossing. But you have chosen who you will be, and it is someone who lives selfishly for themselves. Maybe it's not too late for the five brothers. And maybe in this parable, that's where we should find ourselves. We always find ourselves as Lazarus, mistreated. You know, you know Lazarus, Lazarus, the word Lazarus, Eleazar, means uh, the one who God helps. I want to be Lazarus in this story. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a great life, but if I'm going to be somebody, I'd really prefer to be Abraham, but that's not going to happen. So, so who am I? Truth is, we're the five brothers. Maybe this is where the years have helped me in the application of this parable. You see, the world does not have to change for me to live faithfully. I simply need to change my doorstep. My gate. I'm not responsible for the world, just my front door. I'm not going to do things on a grand scale. I figured that out by now. Just last week, I figured it out finally after all those years. I figured it out a long time ago, right? I'm not going to do things on a grand scale. But you know what? That doesn't stop me from doing something. Helping one person 
making a difference in one person's life. And when we do that, the reality is when you do that and when I do that and everyone around us and the church begins to do that, the world has and does change. Jesus called 12 people together and one of them wasn't very good. He didn't quite make the cut. Called 12 people together and we think they changed the world. You see, the rich man's assets were not his crime. This is not about economics. Now, when I was 25, this was an economics lesson for me. Now, at whatever age I am today, 68, uh, uh, it's not about economics anymore. You see, those were not his crime. They were simply his opportunity. And so where I need to begin to look is, where are my opportunities to serve? Where are they? You know, the rich man, in reality, is he could not have changed his world in his day. He could not have changed the nation of Israel. Reality is he probably couldn't have changed his city. But you know what? He could have changed the life of one beggar in his doorstep. The world is a dangerous place, Einstein says, not because of those who do evil, but because of those who look and do nothing. We are called to do something. We have opportunity before it's too late to change. One person, one situation, one moment. To me, this is exciting because it's doable. This excites me about Dayspring. Our mission, Lindsay, the idea that we're thinking about how do we handle poverty here. John, you don't get frustrated about gun violence, do you? But John continues to try to do one thing. This is exciting. This is Dayspring's mission, to be open and inclusive and to change people's experience with worship, with being accepted, making a difference in poverty. As, as Andrea said last week, to becoming a community of good news. This is our opportunity because so many people experience the church and do not hear good news. You can change the doorstep right here. This is who we can be. The rich man does not have the world at his doorstep. He just has one beggar named Lazarus, the man that God helps. It may be too late, but it may not be. We are in the here and now. We are the five brothers. We have decisions to make. Will we hear the prophets? Will we hear Moses? Will we hear Jesus? We can be central action actors on this stage in this place. This week, may you not be overwhelmed by the enormity of the world's problems. May you have the eyes to be, in even a small way, the person who God helps someone through you. God helps someone in need through you. Amen.